right, all right. Another disadvantage of the internet being down in the building is my understanding is there will not be sermon notes on the screen today. So you can either go to sleep or you can actually take notes. I know that's a rare thing. So if I see your phones out today, I'm going to assume you're not on Facebook and I'm going to assume you're taking notes. Let me tell you something that you might find shocking. If you're looking for a pastor who has it all together, you have come to the wrong place. I know, shocking. I know it appears that I have it all together. When you initially meet me, you would think I have it all together. If you're looking for a pastor, shocker, I know this is going to be shocking for some of you. But if you're looking for a pastor who is always thinking godly thoughts, you have come to the wrong church today. If you're looking for a pastor who has the perfect marriage, shocker, you have come to the wrong church. If you're looking for a pastor who never gets angry, is the perfect dad, you're at the wrong church. If you're looking for a pastor who gets up in the morning and he's so godly that angels begin to arise from the ground and sing amazing grace as he leaves his home bathed in prayer to come down here and study the word of God, you, my friend, are at the wrong church. You're looking for a pastor who screwed up, messed up, and on this journey called life with you. Welcome to Action Church. You know, the funny thing about those statements is, is they seem like common sense statements. There's no one perfect, especially pastors. But most pastors couldn't get up on stage and make that statement or those statements for fear of losing their job. Most pastors live in fear that if they're anything less than perfect, they will no longer be pastoring the churches that they're at. Not only am I less than perfect, and not only am I probably the most flawed one here, not only am I human, we're the third week of a series that we're calling Real AF. And we're getting real real, if you will, about some of the things that I struggle with. And someone says, well, are you making it about you? No, no, I'm not making it about me. I just want you to realize that the things that you struggle with, the things that you feel tempted by, the things that you battle with, as the pastor of the church, chances are real good that I battle with the same things. For whatever reason, we live in a society that has put leadership on some kind of weird pedestal, and when they mess up, we walk away from our faith, or we think something's wrong instead of realizing, man, they're human just like we are, but I struggle with the same things you do. The Bible says in James 5, 16, confess your faults to one another. I'm going to try to slow down today. Oh, we do have that. Look at that. Xander got it fixed. I have said for 10 years now, this church could operate without me. It could operate without Phil. It cannot operate without Tanya and Xander back there in the tech booth. Man, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. 
that you may be healed. I think that's a powerful verse. What that, that verse is saying is if you want to live a life of wholeness, if you want to live a life of, heal, of being healed, if you want to live a life of purpose, if you want to live a life where you're not feeling like you're living life as a fake, then we've got to be honest about the things that we struggle with. We bring the darkness into light. But so many of us are embarrassed to confess our faults. We confess our faults where therefore we can pray for each other as we deal with those faults so we can live our life healed. Today's confession might shock you if you're new here. It will not shock you if you've attended Action Church for any length of time. Last week's confession was, I've been in a fighting mood lately. If you missed that sermon, you can go to the podcast and listen to it. And I just told you, I've been walking around kind of with a chip on my shoulder, just looking for a good fight. That's the redneck in me. That's not something you hear from me a lot. That's kind of a new struggle for me. Today's confession is not a new struggle for me. It's an issue that I have dealt with probably as long as I've been in full-time ministry. I'm 45. I've been in full-time ministry since I was 22 years old. Today's confession will shock you if it's your first time here, and it might be the moment where you grab your spouse and say, let's get out of here. I would encourage you that you're already here, so you might as well just finish the ride. Today's confession is this. I can't stand most Christians. But you're a pastor. Yeah, I know. Notice I didn't say I can't stand some Christians. Because that wouldn't be a strong enough statement. I said, I can't stand most Christians. Dare I say, and this is not a statement I use lightly, I am as close to hating most Christians as you can without sinning. I am much more comfortable around the foul mouth, women chasing, beer guzzling, heathen man, or should I say man chasing. Remember last week I got on you ladies and said men get a bad rap and women are just as sinful and wicked and sneaky as men? Yesterday I'm at my son's soccer game. I posted this on Facebook. And I had to go to the restroom. So I walk up to the restroom. I get to the men's room and it's out of order. So I knock on the women's restroom door to make sure there's no one. Because I had to go to the restroom. And I walk in. I walk in the women's restroom. I'm 45 years old. I ain't never been in a men's restroom where I get in the stall and close the door. And it's full of empty wine bottles. But I get in the women's restroom, and you soccer moms, there was like seven empty wine bottles in the stall. Like y'all poured them in your Yeti cup trying to get through the, the game. You ain't fooling anybody that you're drinking water. Women are sneaky somethings, man. Now, I'm not going to admit, some people would look at that and say, man, that's horrible. I looked at it, and I respected the game. I respected it. 
Men, we're dumb. We won't even try to hide it. We think if we pour it in a red Solo cup, no one knows what we're drinking. Women have got the Yetis or the custom cups that are all designed, and they're pouring that wine in there, and they're slick like that to fool everybody. Had nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to throw out that women are just as horrible as men. I'm much more comfortable around non-believers than I am hypocritical Christians. And the sad part is I felt a little bad last week when I made my confession because I shouldn't be in a fighting mode. Today I don't feel bad about it at all. I was reading one time a book by the pastor of the largest church in the world. The churches in Korea has around 250,000 people who attend weekly. Let me repeat that number. It's in Korea. has about 250,000 people who attend this church. And in this book, he said he prays six hours a day. That's amazing to me. Six hours a day, he is in one-on-one conversation with God. As I'm reading this book, I'm feeling like I'm the worst pastor in the world because I'm just going to be honest, you're lucky if you're getting six minutes from me. That's going to be one of my confessions. I'm not real good at praying. In an interview, though, he was asked why he spent so much time praying. And when he responded and I read his response, I knew we were kindred spirits. He said, my church is very large and there are many people in it. And I have to pray that long every day to be able to minister to them because I hate so many of them. He said, man, these people drive me nuts. And if I'm going to be able to adequately minister to them, I've got to be bathed at least in six hours of prayer every day to even tolerate them. Doesn't sound very godly for a pastor to say, but but I can relate to that. I can't stand most Christians. I'm just being real today. I, I could give you a thousand different reasons why what we call Christian drives me crazy. There's so many different versions of Christians. I could give you hundreds of them, but I put them in a few categories today. There's the judgmental. Christian. Anybody know that guy? The ju- that gal? They act holier than thou. They look down on everything you do. You don't know what they're for, but you know what they're against. They love to point out all your faults, especially the sins that you do that are different than their sins. They judge the way you walk. They judge the way you talk. They judge the way you dress. They judge the way you act. The judgmental Christian. The judgmental Christian will make you just despise most Christians. Then there's the the church-bashing Christian. He's the Christian that attends a church and no other church is right but his church. Y'all know that guy? Yeah. The church he attends is the only church that's right. There's only about 17 people who attend there. But that's because they're right and people don't like the truth. 
And so they bash every other church. There's angry street preaching Christian. This guy stands on the street corner, the Braves game, and screams that you're going to burn in hell. He really only has one message, and that's against the sodomites, because he can't even use the word homosexual. So he's a sodomite. I think he thinks it makes him sound small, smarter. Tells you that you're going to fry like bacon. He normally has one little speaker that he got at Goodwill, and you really can't even understand it. But he's there. He's faithful. Angry street preaching. Christian. There's, there's hypocritical Christian. Anybody know that guy? Yeah, I know that guy a lot. This is the Christian who are, preaches against what you do, but they're secretly doing the exact same thing. I'll never forget when I went through the worst time of my life when I lost everything. I had two guys that came out very big against me. This is back when blogs were huge, and they came out huge against me, nonstop every day, almost to the point where it was obsessive. One of them actually started a website with my name, and they would list everything I had done wrong. They would go through tweets I had written and Facebook posts I had made and all this stuff, and blog posts, and it was crazy. These two guys were obsessed. And oddly enough, within a year, both those guys got exposed for doing the same thing I had got caught for, and a hypocritical Christian. Normally that person who is anti-something so much is because they're hiding that same sin in their life. Then there's just, let's just be honest, there's just the weird Christian. Have you met the weird Christian? Most of the time this weird Christian is on television or they're the people who watch the weird Christians on television. They dress weird. They have like helmet hair. They use, like, they speak in Christianese. They speak in this language that you've never heard. Nothing's ever simple. You can't just be hanging out with your friends. You're fellowshipping with them. You know, you just can't be grateful for something. It's, oh, we're going to lift up supplication today and bless brother. They're just odd. They're odd. Just weird. They have weird, like, they see demons literally behind every bush. They're just, they're just odd people, man. Like, like a lot of the women in this movement, like for some reason they have just big hair and it's, a lot of times it's pink. I've just never understood that. It's weird. They're just weird. There's nothing really to say about them. They're just weird. Like people look at them and they're like, I want nothing to do with Christianity if that weirdo is what Christianity is. I was flipping through the other day and one was like, man, if you send us a $1,000 donation, we'll send you this cloth that we prayed over. And I'm thinking, that's weird. Like, I don't need a cloth you prayed over. I got direct access to the big man. It was just odd to me. It was odd. It was weird. This is the one that I can't stand the most, just going to be honest with you. It's the name-only Christian. This is probably the one that I, as the pastor of Action Church, deal with the most. This person doesn't attend church. They haven't attended church in years. The only reason they think they're a Christian is because they're an American. Probably haven't opened their Bible in years, haven't prayed in years, haven't talked about the things of God in years. But they call themselves a Christian. 
And then they have all the reasons you're wrong because they don't do, you don't do it how they think you ought to do it because how their granny did it 50 years ago because that's the only way to do it. But if that was the way to do it, it seems like they'd go to a church that still did it that way, but they don't. I mean, I'm not going to a church that has concerts in it. Do you know he preaches nine times out of ten in flip-flops? I mean, if I want to hear a rock concert, I'll turn on the radio. This is what I believe. It's not what you believe church ought to be. Because if you believe church ought to be that way, you would go to a church that does it that way. There's 972 churches in Cherokee County. Trust me, one of them does it that way. You're a name-only Christian. You might be a C&E Christian. You come on Christmas and Easter. But you're going to name every reason why every church is wrong and how they do it. I just, I just don't like most Christians. Now, to be fair, now to be fair, I don't like a lot of Christians, and in all fairness, a lot of Christians don't like me. I get that. It's fair. I'm going to be really honest with you today. There's some Christians in this church that I don't like. Noah Vaughn, you're not one of them, I promise. He's back there. He's talking about me. I know what he's talking about. Didn't even hug me today. I even tried to be nice to Yvonne Dan told her she was losing weight. She got mad at me for that. She just mean. She just mean that Yankee in her, man. Just some Christians in this church. There's one Christian in this church, I gotta be real honest with you. They drive me nuts. The thought of their actions makes my blood boil, makes the hair of my arms stand up. You ever just had that person who just gives you knots in your stomach? There's a Christian in this church that's like that. Quit pointing at people. The reality is, you know who that Christian is? It's me. Every time I look in the mirror... I think to myself, man, am I living my life in a way that glorifies God and draws people to him? I, as much as anybody here, struggle with living out my faith in a world that just seems so contradictory to the way a Christ follower is supposed to live. There's nobody who beats themselves up more over their faith and their actions than me. And so if I'm going to list all the Christians I can't stand, obviously I've got to list myself because I fall so short in what I believe a Christ follower ought to be. And again, that's a confession that if most pastors made, they'd lose their job. But as I read the Bible... I see that Jesus dealt with these type of people all the time. Jesus was always going at it with the religious people of the day. He was always calling them out because of their actions. And my prayer today, very simply, is at the end of the message, we evaluate our own lives. And we ask ourselves, are we living our lives with Christ in relationship? Are we living our lives with Christ in religion? Because there's a huge difference, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Bono, the lead singer of U2, 
gave this quote very hard. He said, Christians are very hard to tolerate. I don't know how Jesus does it. It's because, especially in America, what we have named Christian is everything and anything but what the Bible says a Christian ought to be. We have labeled Christianity by the external instead of the internal. How much do you read your Bible? How much time do you spend in prayer? How do you forgive? How much money do you give? How often do you attend church? We put a metric system together on what makes somebody a Christian. Christine and I were at a cheerleading competition yesterday, and the guy in front of us was someone we know, and he looked around at me and he showed me a text message he got while I was sitting there. And someone had sent him a text message, and they said, do you think that David was a man after God's own heart? Because the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. And he said, do you think he felt that way after he had an affair? Say, what's the answer to that? The answer to that to me is, yeah, he felt that way. Because God doesn't judge by the external. God judges by the internal. Did David mess up? Yeah. Gary Lamb, king of messing up. Newsflash for you. Church of messing up. We love to look down on those who sin differently than we do. One of my best friends, one of the people that I love more than anyone, and at least he came to me and admitted he was wrong. Came to me two weeks ago after Larry preached for us and said, man, I struggled with Larry being on stage. I said, why? Because of what he did. I said, okay. You know, I did the same thing he did years ago. Oh, I know. I said, pretty sure you've done the same thing he did years ago. Oh, I know. But I knew his wife. Oh, it became personal for you. And I get that. When it's personal, the emotions get involved. I said, you ever felt that way towards me? No. I said, what's the difference? I know I'm wrong. I'm glad he admitted he was wrong. And I've reminded him every day. That's what I do. I'm an encourager like that. It was great because his wife was beating him up. I was beating him up. Christine was beating him up. They're normally beating me up, so it was a nice change of pace. But we're so judgmental. Today I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to preach a little bit. We're going to start here with Jesus in the synagogue. My issue with this subject today on how we evaluate our own lives was not an issue of finding Scripture to back up what I have to preach. The issue was I was finding too much scripture and I had to cut some out if we were going to get through the sermon. I literally could take today's subject and do an entire series on this subject. Jesus is infuriated in this scripture with the religious people of the day. He's getting in their face. I love that Jesus got in the face of the religious. The Bible says we'll start Mark 3, 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, some of them being the religious, 
Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely. Man, the religious will always watch you closely, looking for a reason to find fault. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Let's read that whole thing again. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. A man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus has rolled up in the synagogue to teach, to preach, to heal, to do the will of the Father. And if you'll notice, this was a regular occurrence with Jesus. The Bible says another time he rolled up in there, meaning this was not the first time he had rolled up in there. It was not the second time. This was a regular thing with Jesus rolling up into the synagogue to teach the word of God. He had been there, done this, had the t-shirt to prove it. He rolls up into the synagogue, and as you can imagine, the synagogue is packed with religious people. The Bible says they were watching him. They were looking for a reason to accuse him. The religious people were always looking for a way to trip up Jesus. They were always looking for a way to discredit Jesus. They were always looking for a reason to blast Jesus. And over and over and over, Jesus calls them out. He gets in their grill about how they're acting and what they're doing. I love that about Jesus. He knew there was nothing that would keep people from the Father like the arrogance of the religious. Jesus was bold and aggressive with religious people because he was never going to allow the religious judgmental Christian to keep someone from coming to know God. He was, dare I say, forceful on the subject Look, it says, back to verse 1, another time he went to the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. I find it very interesting to me that Mark doesn't go into a lot of detail about the man's hand. He simply tells us it was a shriveled up hand. He didn't diagnose the problem. Christians love and do a great job of diagnosing people's problems in detail. The problem is we diagnose the problem and we do nothing about it. We don't know if this man was born this way. We don't know if he was in an accident. We don't know what happened to lead to him having up this shriveled up hand. All we know is he had a problem. We don't know if he was born with it or if it was self-inflicted. He simply had a problem And Jesus had compassion on the man. He didn't need to have a reason. I don't need to know your history when you come to me with your problem. Because the problem is so many of you use your history as an excuse anyway. I simply need to know you have a problem and you want to get better. It's not my business why you're in the situation you're in. It's not your business why they're in the situation they're in. It's our business to do what Jesus did to meet them and to do whatever we can within our power to help them. We see a need and we meet a need. 
No questions asked. Every time we feed people, every time we open the shelter here, every time we give out clothing, we post on the Facebook, the last statement I always add is no questions asked. Come here, come get food. Here's when we're serving food. Here's what we're doing. No questions. Someone asked, I said, why do you say no questions asked? I said, because I want them to know there's no questions asked. I don't need to know why they're hungry. I don't need to know if they've been to five other food places to get food. They'll answer to God for that, not me. My job is to love people right where they say they are, no questions asked. But the church doesn't want to do that. We want to bring them into the room and send them to a six-week class and diagnose every illness and do this and do that and clarify this and clarify that. I just want to see a need and meet a need. Jesus saw the man with the shriveled hand. As we continue to read, and we will continue to read, he never asked him how his hand got that way. My question to you Christians, are you more interested in diagnosing the problem Are you more interested in pointing people to Jesus? Are you more interested in the problem? And here's the issue. You really don't care about the problem. You just want to gossip. You just want to be nosy. You don't care other than you want to be able to talk crap about, I would never do that. Sure you would. Some of you are such good religious people that you'll even do it under the guise of prayer. Mm. pray for them. You know what they're going through? No, well, let me tell you. Oh, I wasn't gossiping, preacher. I was just getting people to pray for. No, you were being nosy. At least, at least own up to what we do. Man, we are some nosy people. I like to play around with people sometimes. Sometimes I'll just throw out a vague Facebook status to see how many of you will message me Wanting to know the details. If I wanted you to know the details, I'd have told you the details. Nosy folks. As you read the stories of Jesus and he's healing people throughout the Gospels, you'll see two types of people. And in the Christian community, you'll see two types of people when it comes to problems. Those interested in lending a hand so people can meet Jesus... And those interested in pointing a finger at everyone's mess-ups. Well, maybe if they did this, they wouldn't be in that situation. You're right. Thank you, Mr. Obvious. And had you not done this, you might not be in this situation. Sorry they sin differently than you. We get to a certain level in life that we forget how we got there and where we came from. We forget, but by the grace of God, therefore am I. Someone comes to me and their life's messed up. I can go back and remember when I was living in a time. Let me rephrase it. I'm still living in a time when my life was messed up. But I can go back and I remember what it was like. They need to know the truth. They know the truth. They're living it. In this story, there's religious people gathered around to hear Jesus teach his message, but they don't care what he's teaching. They just want to trip him up. They're not there to learn. They're there to criticize. 
They're wanting to see, is he going to break their rules and heal this man on the Sabbath? Because God forbid that it's a Sunday and we heal somebody. These people had 39 categories of law that people had to obey to define what they could and could not do on the Sabbath. They're on the front row, but they're not on the front row to learn. They're on the front row to pin Jesus down, to discredit him. Mark 2, so some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Some of the people, do not miss this statement, some of the people who seem the closest to Jesus are the farthest from him in their hearts. Because, again, we love to judge on the external. And they look sharp. They seem like they have it all together. Their marriage seems perfect. Their kids seem great. Man, their finances seem this. Man, we don't know the struggles they're having because they do a great job of hiding them. And so, therefore, we think they have it all together. And those that have it all together and those who come across like they're better than everyone when it comes to God normally are the most wicked people in their heart. Someone sent me about five weeks ago. I don't want to tell you exactly what it was because I really don't even want you to go find it. It was, it was that pitiful. We'll call it a podcast. And this guy takes different preacher sermons every week plays the sermon on his podcast, and then breaks the sermon down on all the ways that it's wrong. And five weeks ago, he chose me. Now, I preach about an hour every week. So you're going to break my sermon down. You're going to go about two and a half hours on the podcast. It was interesting. It was good. It got me pumped up. To think, what an idiot who has so little time on his hand but to sit and dissect every word and every voice. He was, look at his voice inflection here. You can tell that he's in sin right here by his, by his voice. I mean, I am a redneck from Canton, Georgia. Of course I have a voice inflection. <laughs> this is my favorite. He's like, he pronounced this word wrong. I can barely read. Of course I pronounced this word wrong. It was fantastic. (laughs) But like, how miserable does your life have to be that you literally just do a podcast where you dog sermons out? But then you're reading the comments and people are telling, you're so godly, you're so great. No, man, you're a Christian that we hate. You're the reason we can't stand most Christians. These religious people had huge chunks of the Bible memorized by heart. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. They had them memorized word for word, and yet they came here not to see a man get healed, but to find fault in the one who was healing. Pitiful. Are you living a life of service? Are you living a life trying to find fault? No wonder the world hates the church. They hate the church because they're speaking the truth. No. They hate the church because we're a-holes. It's just honestly, that's what we are. We're self-righteous, arrogant pricks who think we're better than the rest of the world. Instead of loving the world, we're judging the world. Man, they're not there to give praise. They're not there to give praise for what God's doing through Jesus. They're there to complain. They're the ones who come to church and say, man, I like the church, but the music was just too loud. 
It's too loud. If it's too loud, you're too old. There's earplugs out there. Put them in your ears. You come to me and say the music's too loud. Guess what? I'm going to tell the sound guy. Turn it up next week. Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Man, some of you get old and the music gets loud. I get old and can't hear it. I need to be louder where I can hear it. They weren't there to worship. They were there to find fault in Jesus. Verse 3, let's get on. I got to move on. I'm hungry. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. God dang, I love this. Stand up in front. Check this out. I wrote this down. Jesus is always bringing those to the front that the religious place in the back. (laughs) That's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. Jesus is always bringing those to the front that the religious put in the back. Holy smokes. I was listening to a podcast recently, and I guess this preacher had a TV ministry, and I guess the way the TV ministry works, you can see the people that sit on the front row on the TV a lot. And I guess a guy showed up to church with a cuss word on his shirt and sat on the front row. And the preacher's talking about how he had to pull the elders backstage. And we just had to have a meeting on how were we going. He was acting like he was being loving. We were just trying to figure out how we were going to let this man know he can't sit on the front row without hurting his feelings. I'm thinking, who cares? Let him sit on the front row. If we're on TV, that's the TV station's job to edit that out. They can put the blurry spot. I want him on the front row. Remember that time we had the homeless guy show up with no shirt? You know what? One of the proudest moments of me in this church. You know why? Because not a one of y'all thought it was weird. Not a one of you. You remember the time the guy showed up who was such an alcoholic homeless guy that he was literally shaking like in convulsions because he was having alcohol withdrawals? You say, what'd you do? Here's what we did. I I believe it was Rick. I'm not sure. We sent somebody over to the Chevron. They don't start serving alcohol till noon. And I said, you got to get a beer in this guy. There's the only way he's going to be able to quit shot. His body's going into shot. One of them said, hey, we'll be back in two hours to pay for this. We need it for church. The people at Sherlock. How would you do that? Because the guy was literally shaking. We got a beer in him. He didn't get drunk off one beer. We got a beer in him. He was able to sit there and listen to the message. You say, did it change his life? I don't know. But here's what I know. He got loved on that day. A seed might have been planted that. I just don't know that I'm comfortable in a church like that. Cool, there's 972, there's 971 other churches. I'm not trying to run you off. I'm just simply saying, cool, we might not be the church for you. That's just how we roll here. Jesus always bring those to the front, the religious put in the back. The religious looked at this man as defiled. They judged him. They thought if you had impurities or imperfections, it was because of sin. Look throughout the Gospels. You'll you'll never see Jesus ever give a place of honor to the seminary graduate. But he put the hookers up front. He put the sinners up front. He put the drunks up front. Those that the church looked down upon. And let me ask you something. Who are we to look down on anybody? 
I don't know. I do know about you, actually. But all I am is a sinner saved by grace. It's by the grace of God I'm not in their situation. Christy and I were laughing about this lady we knew one time. We weren't laughing about her condition. But we used to know this lady, probably the worst alcoholic I've ever met in my life. Like literally couldn't function without alcohol. But boy, she would talk so, like almost get enraged when you talked about people with drug problems. They're the scum of the earth. They're the, and I was thinking, like you can't even function. You've lost your kids. You've lost literally everything because of alcohol. But they sin differently than my goodness, Jesus put them at the forefront. And I love that we're the church of the least of these. I love that we're the island of misfit toys. I pray that we are always the church of the overlooked. I love that song, man, we are the outsiders. I'm good with that. I'm comfortable with that. That might not lead to the biggest church in town. Let me go ahead and tell you something. Been there, done that. I started the biggest church in this town. I don't need that for my ego. I don't need that to make me feel cool. I'll show up here week after week if there's 10 people. I'll show up if there's five people. I'll show up if there's one person. She's pretty hot and I know she'll be here. I don't need my ego stroked. Some of the day said, I hope we don't ever grow. We know that we don't have that mindset either. A thousand people come through this door, we'll make room for a thousand people. I just don't like crowds, and you're gonna be real disappointed in heaven. But if this is who God chooses to send, this is who God sends at this time. We're good with that. I'm not interested in being known as the church with the most ministries, the most Bible studies, the deepest messages. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not our goal. I want to be known as the church that loves people right where they are. Let me make this real clear to you. If you're a Christian who attends this church, we are so glad you're here. But this church wasn't designed for you. I just became a Christian last week. Awesome. It quit being designed for you last week. Now, it is designed for you, those of you who are Christians, to come here and serve others. Where outsiders can become insiders. But we're the opposite of most places. You become a member at most places, you get benefits. You become a member here, you give up all your benefits. We don't do membership to begin with, but if we did. Everything we do is to take outsiders and make them insiders. Take those that are far from God and introduce them to a God who loves them right where they are. Once you become a Christian, you're part of the army that God has put together right here to make it really hard to get to hell from Canton, Georgia. That's why we exist. We do one thing and we do one thing only. We preach Jesus in a way that people can meet Jesus. Once they meet Jesus, we plug them in to helping other people meet Jesus. Welcome to Action Church, that's what we do. Well, I don't like that. We didn't ask. It's been that way for 10 years. It will not change. It will not change with me as the pastor. And I don't plan on going anywhere. 
So that'll be the vision. The Bible says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the mission of God. To seek and to save, that's the mission of Action Church. We don't need another place full of religious people. We don't need another place that people go to because it's the cool place to be. We don't need another place that people go to because I go there for networking. Literally had a man tie. I go to such and such church. It's not really my thing, but man, it's great for networking. Cool. That's awesome. We're just going to be dumb enough to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus, verse 4, then Jesus asked him, what is, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? <laughs> but they remain silent. When you call the religious out, they'll always remain silent. Jesus had a way of asking questions that put people in their place real quick. Now, I know the perception that the North American church has made of Jesus is this mild-mannered, meek guy walking around with his purple sash and carrying a little sheep in his arm. But Jesus was a man's man. He wasn't afraid to be confrontational. He wasn't confrontational just to be confrontational, hello. But he was confrontational when truth was on the line. If Jesus needed to get into the face of the religious, he had zero reservations about getting in their face. So he asked them a question, which is lawful on the Sabbath. You say, I shouldn't do this on the Sabbath. So you're telling me on the Sabbath I shouldn't do good just because it's the Sabbath? This is my argument to Chick-fil-A every Sunday when I want a Chick-fil-A sandwich. How many people are you robbing of doing good with the Christian chicken that I only crave on Sundays? We always want what we can't have. Here's a question for you. How many of you know someone who wouldn't attend church even if you paid them because of their experiences with Christians inside the church? (laughs) Check this out. We're full of religious people. Religion takes what God intended to help people and hurts them. Religion takes your personal preferences and turns them into a biblical principle. Religion is more interested in protecting your preferences than God's purpose. Someone told me today, I like the old hymns. Great. There are some outstanding old hymns. I love the old hymns. There's nothing wrong with loving the old hymns of the faith. But here's where it becomes religion. We should only sing old hymns in church. No, you just turned your preference into religion. I like dressing up for church. Awesome. Nothing wrong with that. I do not. That's okay too. Religion, though, becomes when you say you have to dress up to come to church. Women ought to wear dresses to church. They don't want to be a stumbling block to the man. Maybe the man ought to get his lust under control. And here's the deal. If your heart's not right, it don't matter if they're wearing a dress to their ankles. You're still going to have impure thoughts. Quit putting on men or women and blaming them for the men's sin. (laughs) <laughs> we having fun yet? Religion takes our preference. 
There's nothing wrong with your preference. I'm not everybody's cup of tea as a preacher. I get that. That's okay. Preference is okay. Just don't let your preference become the standard because then it becomes religion. And religion pushes people away from God. Here's what matters. Is Jesus being worshipped? Are lost people being saved? Who cares if the music is loud or not loud? When we started this church, I think I've shared you this story before. I had a man call me and meet me. He pulled up in an old truck, got out of his car. He had overalls on, an old John Deere. He was every stereotype you could think of the old country camp night. He said, I heard you're starting another church. I said, yeah. He said, you know, I won't be attending. I said, yeah. I go to such and such church out there. 53 years. I said, yeah. I'm thinking, why are we meeting? I've known this man for a long time. He said, you know, I think the music's too loud over there. Yeah. I don't understand why you can't wear a tie. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> but again, this man had been good to me. So I'm like, yeah. All of a sudden he pulls out a check, book, starts writing. Said, you know who's going to your church? Um, some people. He said, my grandson. He said, I've been praying for that man for 21 years. He was 21. To get into church. He said, he's so excited about the Bible. And while I don't understand it, I like it. He wrote a $10,000 check to our church to help it get started. He realized it wasn't about his preference. He wasn't going to change his preference. He wasn't about to show up here. But it's funny how when it becomes your family being impacted, suddenly your preferences aren't so strong. Hmm. Man. Religion takes what God intended to help people, and it hurts them. If you're here for a church day and you think Action Church is about you, you're wrong. If you think Action Church is about me, you're wrong. Action Church is for the 78% of our county who doesn't attend church doesn't feel welcome in church, don't feel accepted in church, don't think they're allowed to attend a church, whether they're right or wrong, perception is reality, and that's their perception, therefore it's their reality. Where they can come through those doors and to know that God loves them, that we love them, and there's nothing they can do about it. That's why we exist. Jesus asked them, what is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill? But they remain silent. They'll always remain silent when you call them out. Christians love to yell at people for their sins instead of helping people for their sins. Biggest knock against us, I always hear all the time, is they don't preach on sin. Are you stupid? Go back and listen. I don't mean this arrogantly. I will put... My preaching against what's right and what's wrong against any preacher in this county. I will. Here's the difference, though. Most preachers get up and preach against everything that moves. We're going to preach against it and then tell you how to overcome it. 
I grew up in the church. Y'all did not drink and y'all did not do drugs and y'all did not do this. And they never said, okay, cool, tell me all the things I ought to not do. But tell me how not to do it because guess what? I want to do it. You heard me say sin's fun. It wasn't fun. We wouldn't do it. The Bible even says there's pleasure in sin for a season. It's not enough to tell people what they're doing wrong if you're not going to tell them the answers. And we have the answers right here. Man, it's not that we've watered the Bible down. It's that we've taken the Bible and we've made it practical where people can understand it. We're not willing to point a finger unless we're willing to lend a hand. Man, I had a friend call me about a year and a half ago when he went to, I went to Bible college when he pastored a little church in Kentucky. And the church had grown to about 150 people. He showed up one Sunday and they fired him. No reason, no explanation. They fired him. He was shocked. He'd asked them what he had done wrong. He asked them, had he preached anything wrong? They told him no, but there was too many new people. Too many new people. They didn't like that. They didn't know everyone's names anymore. Let me make this real clear to you. One of our priorities at Action Church isn't for you to know everyone's name. Just to make sure all Canton knows his name. Then he told me this. I'll never forget this story. He told me that one of the Dinkins pointed out to the graveyard. And they looked at him and said, we have a graveyard full of people who put their blood, sweat, and tears into this church being what it is. And as we move forward, we got to think about those people. Are you freaking kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? The church of the living God's being dictated and run by dead people? It'll be a cold day in hell. I guarantee you those people in that graveyard would have told you when we started this church, we did it this way because that's the way it worked, and that was relevant during those times. Times change. I didn't say the message changes, but times change. And the reason the church has become ineffective as it's no longer meeting people where they are. He looked around them in anger. Jesus was angry and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. If we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we're going to look at the religious people and continue to do what we feel God's called us to do. Let me make this clear. We answer to nobody but him. If we decide we're going to keep having church when everyone else shuts down, we're going to keep having church. If we decide, man, we're going to have church this way, we're going to have church this way because we're going to move as God called us to move. We don't answer to Christians, especially what we have as Christians today. We answer to God. But you need to get ready. When you stand for the least of these, here's what's going to happen. Verse 6, then... The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they, milk, how they might kill Jesus. The minute Jesus reached the least of these, the religious decided, man, it's time to kill him. It's time to shut him down. I posted this on Facebook this week. I don't have one scar on my body from anybody who's ever said they were my enemy. 
Every scar that I have is from someone who said they loved me. You know what's funny? We never get attacked by the unchurched world for loving our community. But the church attacks us all the time. When we get ready to give Canton the bird, you know that 70% of the food will come from non-church going people. But not a church will lock hands with it because we use the phrase give Canton the bird because we thought it was funny. God forbid we have a sense of humor. Well, just change the name. You're being stubborn. No. I'm stubborn. Pharisees went out and began to plot how they may kill him. Jesus had just healed a man, and now they're ready to kill him. So the question becomes this. How do we not become what so many of us hate? Because it's real easy to become religious. It's funny. I see it happen at this church all the time. People who've never went to church come to church. They stay about a year and they move on because all of a sudden they get religious. Their family starts, well, you've been in church now, and then you start acting this way and start dressing this way and start doing this and do this and do this and cross your T's this way and dot your eyes this way and you ought to go to this and go to that. And they move on. That's okay. We're a stepping stone church. I've always been that and I'm fine with it. I've always joked that other churches ought to bring me on staff as a missionary because I send more people to their churches than their pastor does. I'm cool with that. But how do we not become religious? Very quickly. First thing we're going to do is we're going to check ourselves. First Peter, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. We're going to check ourselves. We're always going to evaluate ourselves. We're going to get honest with our own selves. Am I slipping into religion or am I staying in relationship? Ask yourself, where is your heart when it comes to other people? You're going to check yourself. Ask yourself where, you, where your heart is. Do you attend here to take or do you attend here to give? Do you find yourself where you're in a stage where you're judging everyone around you? Or do you find yourself putting yourself in their shoes and saying, man, I want to do whatever I can to help them. So we're going to check ourselves. Second thing we're going to do is we're going to know that it's about others. We're going to know that it's about others. Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to others. Here's the deal. It's not about you. It's not about me. Our lives should be a life that say love wins. When all else fails, love wins. The church loves to judge Instead of loving. Not going to work around here. The church is the only army that shoots its wounded. We stop caring. Luke 6.3. Do to others as you would have done to you. How many of you have ever been in a bad spot in life? I don't... Bad spot in life. Gary Lamb. Woo! Both hands up. Legs up. How did you want to be treated? And treat others that way. It's not about you. But Gary, you don't know what they did. You're right, I don't know what they did. I don't care. Just like I don't know what you did and you don't know what I did. Then we're going to remember why the church exists in the first place. That's how we become a church not filled with people we hate. Matthew 16, 18, on this rock I'll build my church in the gates of Hades. King James, I like it better, says the gates of hell shall not overcome it. The church is lost 
touch with the world. And then we have those that are Christ followers who think they can make it without a church. No, the Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's power in the assembly. And then the problem is when they do come to church, they begin to think the church is here for us. The church is not here for us. This is a pep rally on Sunday. What's the purpose of Sunday morning? For us, it's a pep rally. It's that fill up to go out into the world and be the church. You are the church. You are Action Church. When you feed someone, Action Church feeds someone. When you love someone, Action Church feeds someone. When you minister to someone when they're going through something hard, Action Church ministers. You are Action Church. So if Action Church is going to be a church full of non-religious people who refuse to be judgmental, then the people have to be that way. Acts 2, 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to everyone who had need. One thing that you'll see about the early church is, over and over, the Bible says they were in unity. If we're going to be the church God called us to be, we have to be in unity over this vision. So here's what I need some of you to do today. You need to pray if this is the church for you. If it is not the church for you, do us a favor and find another church. You don't mean that. No, I mean it. If you come here because you like people, I just like some of the people, you're at the, just the wrong reason. Go like them people somewhere else. I just like the music. Not, not the right reason to come here. I mean, you make me laugh as a preacher. There's some funnier preachers than me out there. But if you come here because you believe that Canton needed a place where those far from God could come at their own terms and hear about a God who loves them, then stay. Regardless of the color of their skin, their sexual preference, their social standing, the church for everybody will never be anything else. And we don't apologize for that. Confession. I can't stand most Christians because most Christians look nothing like the Christ followers I see in the Bible. I refuse to allow that to happen to me, so keep me accountable. And I refuse to pastor a place that I can't stand. Let's pray.